Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, if you're somebody who is a regular church attender, there's a temptation to kind of yawn at the biblical narratives that we read around this Christmas season. But we're going to be doing that again today. We're going to be talking about how the angel Gabriel came and made an announcement of the birth of a special boy, an unlikely pregnancy, a child who would grow up to have a powerful ministry, a child whose very birth was prophesied about hundreds of years before it ever happened. But there's a catch. The child we're talking about this morning is not Jesus but somebody else. We've been working in this series through the first chapter of John 1 and his powerful words of Jesus. And so I want to read that and let's get caught up. And it says in John 1, 1, we just sang these words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That was the emphasis of our message last week. As for today, we're going to be focusing on these passages. Verse 6. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. When you read through John 1, Jesus is clearly the star of the show, as he should be. But our author departs for a moment from talking about Jesus to talk about someone named John. Now, to get some confusion out of the way, we got two Johns that we're dealing with here. There's John the author, the guy who wrote this this particular book, who is one of Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends. There's John the author, and then there's John the baptizer, or John the Baptist. John the author and John the Baptist are two very different people. And so we're going to learn a little bit more about this John the Baptist. That's the one who's referred to in these verses. So to dig into the life of John the Baptist, we're going to move from John 1 to Luke 1. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, The majority of our time this morning will be spent in Luke chapter 1. We'll have the verses up on the screen if you want to follow along with us. Let's dive in. Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Right out of the gates, look how much detail is packed in one verse. This is one of the things I love about the Bible. It's not, it's not a book of fairy tales and mythical characters. Uh, look at this. We have a, a period of time in the time of Herod, an actual king, uh, in, in, in Judea, an actual place. There was a priest named Zechariah, actual person. We get his family line from an actual group of people that existed. And then his wife, Elizabeth, a real person, and a descendant of Aaron, another real people group. We're not talking about Jack and the Beanstalk here. This is the, the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, a historical record of actual things that happen. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So now we learn something a little more personal about Elizabeth and Zechariah. We learn that they're God-fearing Jews, but that they carry a very powerful stigma, one I've experienced myself, the inability to bear children. And this would have been very, very painful for both of them. Verse eight, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The temple of the Lord was the epicenter of Jewish religious life. It it represented the intersection between God and his people, the, the touch point between God and man. And in order to serve as a priest in the temple, you had to come from a very specific family line, one that Zechariah came from. And priests were essentially agents between God and man. And they had a lot of different kinds of duties. Uh, They would sacrifice animals to atone for the sins of the people. They would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the altar. And then they would light incense, which symbolized prayers being offered up to God. And it's estimated, scholars believe that around this time, there were some 20,000 men who met this criteria. And so all of these priests would ascend to the city of Jerusalem and they'd gather outside and they had to determine which are the priests that are gonna go into the temple to do the priestly duties. And so they had to find some way of determining God's will. They didn't have the full Bible like you and I have access to today. They didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit that believers have today. They had to determine the will of God some other way. They did so by casting lots, which was essentially rolling dice. And on this particular night, the the lot, the dice, fell in Zechariah's favor. So consider this. With so many people who are potentially priests, to have the lot fall on you would have been an incredible honor. It would have been a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, something you could tell your grandchildren about. And Zechariah, the lot fell on him. Verse 10. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So here's how the ceremony went. Three priests were chosen, and together they would enter the temple. In this case, Zechariah in the middle and a priest at either side. The other two priests would go in. One would put hot coals on the altar, and the other one would prepare the incense. Then those two priests would exit the temple, leaving Zechariah, the priest burning incense, as the only one in a room known as the holy place. Now, Zechariah had been outside countless times before, so he kind of knew the drill, but now he was on the inside. And so his job was to light the incense, to pray for the nation. And he didn't want to take too long because everybody's waiting outside. And then he would come out, and when he did, trumpets would sound and everyone would break into song. That's how it was supposed to go. So Zechariah was alone in the holy place, likely got down on his knees, closed his eyes, and asked that God would send the Messiah, the anointed one, to deliver God's people from oppression. And then when he was done praying, he would have stood up and opened his eyes. And when Zechariah did, this is what he saw. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Yeah, I'd be gripped with fear too. I mean, this is like a scene out of a horror movie, right? A person alone in a dimly lit room and the camera pans over and there's just a creature standing there like, ah! 
This is what he does. Verse, verse, verse 13 says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, it's very unlikely that the prayer Zechariah was offering on that night was for a child. That would have been considered selfish. Priests were to pray for the whole nation, not just for themselves. The truth is that Zechariah and Elizabeth likely gave up on the prayer of having kids of their own a long time ago. They were well past the childbearing age. And at this point in time, having kids probably felt like a dream that was abandoned long ago. Ever have one of those? Something you dreamed about as a kid, but when you, when you became an adult, you just kind of gave up on it? You know, when I was a teenager, my favorite band was this rock group called U2. And they were known for their big live concerts. And, you know, at their height, they were one of a handful of artists who could sell out massive venues literally all over the world. And, and as a kid, I always kind of dreamed of getting to go see U2 live and in concert. But as I got older, I cared less and less about it. And, you know, it just wasn't as big of a priority for me anymore. Well, a number of years ago, my, my best friend surprised me. He's like, hey, I got tickets to U2. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I was, I was much more excited as a teenager. But as you get older, you know, that excitement gets tempered a little bit. And so I remember the, the night of the concert, there I am in Spartan Stadium on the campus of Michigan State University. And the lights go out, and U2 takes the stage, and I start crying. <laughs> uh, I'm like a, like a 12-year-old girl in the presence of Taylor Swift, man. I, I cannot get it together. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I am in my 30s. Why am I acting this way? I think it's just because it, it was something that I dreamed about so much as a kid. And I never thought it would ever happen. And then I was standing in the middle of that moment. And for Zechariah, a prayer he had given up on a long time ago, he's now told by a supernatural being, it's happening. Listen to what Gabriel says about this child to be named John. Verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was a very significant interaction between Zechariah and this angel for a number of reasons. One, Zechariah learns that the Messiah is coming in his lifetime and his child is gonna prepare the way. But also what makes this significant is that it ended what was 400 years of silence. You see, the people of God went four centuries without any prophetic voice. It's what's known as the intertestamental period or that long span of time in between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. In fact, the very last words of the very last book of the Old Testament are found in Malachi chapter four. And this is what it says. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Sound familiar? This was fulfilled in part with the birth of of John. I mean, imagine the day Zechariah is having. First, the lot falls on him. He gets to go serve as a priest in the temple. Then he learns he's going to have a child. 
and that this child is gonna prepare the way for the Messiah. I mean, this was Christmas before there was Christmas. But all of that excitement was dashed based on the way that Zechariah responded. Luke 1.18, Zechariah asked the angel, ah, how could I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah got one thing right and one thing wrong. What he got right was he referred to himself as old, but his wife as well along in years. <laughs> so fellows, we could learn a little something about the way that Zechariah phrased things. So if your wife asks you, hey, do I look old? You tell her, no, you are well along in years. And ladies, when the men ask you, do I look fat? You say, no, you're well along in pounds, okay? <laughs> Zechariah got that one right. But what he got wrong, he got very wrong. Because what he basically said to the angel Gabriel is, hey, I need some better assurance. I need some kind of guarantee that you're telling me the truth. I need a sign. You're talking to an angel. What, are, what other sign do you need? I mean, it's not like a janitor wandered into the temple mopping the floors and he accidentally mis mistook him for an angel. You heard about the strict protocol. Clearly, Zechariah was the only one in that room. And he reduced this conversation with a supernatural being into a bargaining session. And as a result, he got hit with a consequence. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So because of his reaction, his voice was literally taken from him. Now, some of you hear this and think, that, that sounds kind of harsh. I mean, all the guy did was doubt. Can you blame him? He's older. Uh, I doubt God sometimes too. Am I going to get hit with a consequence like that? As we read through this incredible story, I want to pluck out a couple of interesting life lessons because I think there's excellent application to where we're at today. And so I see a couple of darknesses here, and I want to identify them as well as how we ought to respond. And here's the first darkness. It's the darkness of distrust. I bet you've been there before, where the circumstances at hand seems so overwhelming that you just cannot bring yourself to trust that God is who he says he is. Now, understand there's a difference between doubt and distrust. Doubt is having questions, but still moving forward in faith. Distrust is having questions, but you're unable to move forward until you get those answered. I'll give you a, an example of the difference between doubt and distrust. It was found in the person of Mary. Because shortly after Gabriel visited Zechariah, he visited Mary and he told her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, to Jesus. Listen to how she responded. This is Luke 1:34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So similar response. Zechariah said, how can I be sure? Mary asked, how can this be? Yet Zechariah had his voice muted while Mary skipped off into the countryside. Why is that? Why was one punished and the other wasn't? Here's the deal. The difference between doubt and distrust is revealed by what you do next. And watch what Mary did 
right after this. Listen to her response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, I don't understand how this is all gonna work out, but I trust you, God. And I'm moving forward. That's the difference between her and Zechariah. They both had questions, but Mary took the little information that was given to her and trusted God anyway. Zechariah took the little information that was given to him and said, ah, I'm gonna need to be 100% sure. When you look back on the darkest days of your life, were you ever 100% sure you were gonna make it through? Of course not. That's not faith. The difference between doubt and distrust is how you respond to the questions that you still have. And look what Mary did. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, why is it that Mary instantly ran off to visit her relative Elizabeth? It's because the angel Gabriel said, oh, she's pregnant too. So not only did Mary believe that as a virgin, she was pregnant, but she also believed that her own relative well past childbearing years was pregnant. The same Elizabeth, Zechariah couldn't bring himself to believe the angel about. And yet Mary did. This was the primary difference between Mary and Zechariah. You see, listen, it's okay to doubt as long as you continue to move forward in faith. How do we know this? Look at the book of Psalms. A third of the Psalms are filled with doubt. I'll give you just one example. This is Psalm 13, words of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Does that sound like a guy who's 100% on board with the plans of God? No. This is a man who's filled with doubt, but it was not distrust. How do I know? Listen to how he concludes the Psalm, verse five. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is like a schizophrenic psalm. On one hand, David says, you left me out here all alone. And then on the other hand, he says, but I'm gonna praise you for being good. Friends, that's the Christian life. I don't understand it all, but based on the character of God, I'm gonna move forward. And that brings us to the first response of what happens when you find yourself in the darkness of distrust. Here it is. Give God your yes in the incompleteness. You and I are never gonna get all the pieces and parts. We're never gonna understand the details, but can you move forward in faith anyway based on God's character? This is where Zechariah went wrong. What he should have done, how he should have responded to the angel was, I don't know how God's gonna work this all out, but I'm gonna do my part. And then the second his priestly duties were done, he should have ran home, squirted on a little cologne, <laughs> put on some Barry White, 
and entered Elizabeth's bedroom like, hey girl, <laughs> daddy's home. <laughs> but instead, he said, uh, I, how do I know this is gonna come about? I, I, I don't know about all this. Look, we're, we're well past childbearing years. He completely missed it. He needed the, the guarantee, the, the full picture. But friends, that's not faith. Faith is saying, God, I'm gonna give you my yes even in the incompleteness. Now, eventually, Zechariah and Elizabeth would come together and they would start to see the promises of the angel come true. Luke 1, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Now, I'm not sure why she did that. Maybe she had doubts herself. Any woman who's ever had a miscarriage understands the hesitancy in wanting to announce a pregnancy. Or maybe she just wanted time alone to prepare with the Lord for what this child was going to bring into her life. We don't know. All we know is that nobody knew she was pregnant except for her and Zechariah until Mary showed up on her porch. Look what happened, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now at five months, a baby's gonna start kicking. But what happened here was that baby John in Elizabeth's belly started doing backflips when baby Jesus in Mary's belly approached. And then Elizabeth went on to say this, verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary's faith was extraordinary. Remember in her day, it was possible to receive the death penalty for adultery. She had to trust that God was gonna see her through accusations of infidelity. And then she, she had to believe this was gonna work as a virgin, and then she shows up on Elizabeth's porch. It was probably a boost of faith to Elizabeth. And remember, Zechariah would have been there too, unable to speak. Mary's presence was probably a boost of faith to him too. You see, when you give God your yes, you could also be an encouragement to others who are struggling. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And that be said of all of us. So there's the darkness of distrust. Here's the second darkness, the darkness of defeat. Zechariah messed up and he was feeling the consequences for it. I bet there's more than a few of us in the room who could relate. We had a chance to do the right thing. We had a chance to obey God and we misfired. And as a result, we're paying the consequence. And maybe you feel defeated. You feel like thrown in the towel. You got too much guilt and anger and embarrassment and you're ready to quit. How do you respond when the darkness of defeat hits? Let's go back to the account in Luke 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. One of the ways you honor your, your fathers and grandfathers in this situation is name your child after them. But Elizabeth was willing to break cultural tradition 
to obey God. Why? Because the promises were coming true. She gave birth to a boy exactly as the angel said. Her responsibility was to name him John. And and the people around were shocked. And so all eyes turned to Zechariah. Come on, Zechariah, you're not going to allow this wife of yours to make this happen. I mean, surely a godly priest like you is going to step up and do the right thing. Verse 62. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Let's just pause for a second. Why in the world are people making hand gestures to Zechariah? He was mute, not deaf. Uh, I mean, this this had to be so annoying to him. I'm sure this wasn't the first time this happened, but I think it's a reminder to all of us to be sensitive to people with disabilities. Rather than getting into a game of charades with them all, he decided to write down his answer, verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. He didn't write, whatever you guys want, it's fine by me. Just ask the missus, she's in charge anyway. You know, I think it should be John, but you know, I'm open to a vote. No, he said definitively, his name is John. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Here's the thing about the God of the Bible. Our God is a God of second chances. All of us are going to have times in which we fail. Now, God doesn't just give us a free pass. I mean, Zechariah faced consequences. But when you fail, humble yourself, own it, do what you can to make it right, and then wait. And another opportunity will come. And when it does, make sure you don't make the same mistake. Zechariah was faced with another opportunity to obey, and this time, he got it right. And this leads us to how we ought to respond when the darkness of defeat hits, and that's this. Make good choices with second chances. Your chance will come. Make sure you don't repeat the mistake. If you just got out of debt, don't credit card swipe your way right back in. If you're just now picking up the pieces of a broken heart from a bad relationship, don't answer the phone when your ex calls saying that they've changed. When, when you, if your mouth got you in trouble the first time, bite your tongue the second time. If your silence got you in trouble the first time, speak up and be bold the second time. If your pride got you in trouble, own it, apologize, seek healing, but make good choices with second chances. That's what Zechariah did. You see, God doesn't leave us in the doghouse forever, and he'll give us another opportunity. Make sure you take advantage of that opportunity. That's what happened with Zechariah, and when he did, isn't it cool that the first thing that came out of his mouth after nine months was praise? He broke into worship. And if you're defeated, if you will hang on and continue to follow after the Lord, your opportunity will come and you too can open your lips and praise God for his deliverance. So we have the darkness of distrust, the darkness of defeat. Here's the third one, the darkness of distance. I bet you've been here too. Some of us just feel distant from God. 
And when you look at the scriptures, the God of the Bible is one who loves you and I so much that he will go through great lengths to bridge that gap. An example of this is how he used John. So far, we've talked mostly about the birth of John, but what about after he was born? What kind of person was he? Well, right after Zechariah finished praising, he started prophesying. This is what Zechariah said in Luke 1, 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. In case you didn't know how Sunrise Church got its name, it comes from this verse right here. The sunrise is Jesus, and John the Baptist was there to prepare the way. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And when he appeared, people flocked out to him. Why? because they had been keeping an eye on his story for years. People all knew what happened with Zechariah. They knew the breaking of the 400 years of silence. They heard about all of these prophecies, how John was gonna be the forerunner to the Messiah. But then he disappeared. But when he reemerged in the wilderness, people went flocking out to see him. This is what Matthew's gospel says to describe John. It says, verse four, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. There was nobody like John. This guy showed up and he was, he was a wild man, bold and brash, even calling the leaders on the carpet. And his message was simple. Messiah is coming. Get your lives in order. Repent. Be baptized. People loved him. They loved his message. They told their friends about him. They told their family members about him. They came all the way down to the wilderness to come listen to him preach. And when he did, their hearts were convicted. They said, we got to make a change. And so they lined up to be baptized. And John baptized them all. That's why his name was John the Baptist. And that baptism symbolized old life to sin, new life with God. It's what we saw on display earlier in the service. And then one day, Jesus showed up to be baptized by John. And when he did, John was like, there he is. That's the guy. Just like when he was doing backflips in his mother's womb, he's, he's jumping up and down. This is the one I told you about. And then Jesus was baptized. And when that happened, the skies opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and the voice of God spoke, one of the most beautiful pictures of the Trinity that we have in scripture. And after that, Jesus began his ministry. And suddenly all of the disciples of John, they started leaving John and started becoming disciples of Jesus. And people stopped flocking to John to hear his preaching and they started following Jesus to hear his. John did exactly what he was supposed to. He was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And his very life was prophesied about in the Old Testament, most notably by the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before it ever happened. Isaiah 40, verse three. A voice of one calling, 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Don't you wonder why God did it this way? Like, why didn't he just like drop Jesus into the world? Why did he send a forerunner first? Here's why. Because God loves people so much, he wants to set them up for the greatest likelihood to receive his good news. So he sent John ahead to break up that old ground, to soften the soil so that people were ready for the message. Remember, Jesus was described as the sunrise. Now, when it's nighttime, the sun doesn't suddenly appear and it's daytime. If that happened, we'd all get whiplash every day. But instead, there's a gradual waning of the darkness as the sunrise comes and gradually brings in the light. And the same was true with Jesus. They sent John first to soften the soil so that by the time Jesus came, his message was more readily received. And if any of you find yourselves in the darkness of distance, it's possible that the reason for it is because your heart has gotten hardened. And maybe today, you need to be softened. And if you find yourself in the darkness of distance, here's my recommendation. Invite God to break old ground so he could bring new growth. That's precisely what he did with John and the people. And maybe that's what you need him to do for you. Maybe some of you have grown hardened by what Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced, unanswered prayers. Why bother praying? It never happens anyway. Maybe some of you have grown hardened by relationships that have gone sour. This is what happens. I, I put myself out there and it, and it just comes back to bite me. Maybe some of you have grown hardened by people in the church. If this is what Christians act like, I don't want anything to do with God. Or maybe you've just been, been hardened by your sin. Friends, you don't want to live life this way. You don't want to live cynical and cold and unemotional, far from God. Don't you want to experience intimacy with him? To have his peace, his hope, his love, his light. Invite him, God, come break up this hard soil. Come prepare my heart so I could receive Jesus into my life over and over again. The reality is that maybe the reason why you feel distant today is because you've never received Christ into your life. You've been, you've been searching in all the other places, relationships, entertainment, jobs, and, and, and nothing's working. And maybe what God is doing in your life right now through the circumstances that led you here and from the moment you walked through the door and the interactions you had with people and the songs that you sang and the word that you heard preached, God has been breaking up that soil to soften your heart for this moment here to receive Jesus into your life. You see, God is not just some distant being that's elusive. He's one that we can know personally, one that can dwell within us, who could forgive us, who could fulfill us. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Here's how to have one. Admit your sins. If you can't admit that you're a sinner, you'll never have a need for a savior. Just confess your sins to him and 
and believe in faith, Jesus, I don't think, I know I can't save myself, but I believe you died in my place to save me and commit to following him. And if you've never done this, I wanna help you do that today. In fact, I wanna ask everybody to close your eyes and I wanna give you a prayer that you could repeat after me in the silence of your own heart. But listen, these are just words unless you believe this in faith for yourself. And so if you're ready to receive Christ into your life, I want you to repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, today I put my faith in you. Jesus, today I put my faith in you. I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you can forgive me. I believe you died in my place. And today I ask that you be my Lord, my Savior. Will you change my heart so I could leave the darkness behind and walk in your light? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I wanna say congratulations, that's awesome. And we wanna help you with this new decision. And and one of the most simple ways we can do that is just find out that you made it. And on on the bulletins that you received is a little perforated card at the bottom. It just says, I said yes, I prayed to receive Christ. Fill that off, fill that out in just a second. Ushers will come by to collect today's offering. Just drop that in the bag and we'll reach out to you, help you understand this decision that you made. Perhaps you've already crossed that line of faith, but you wanna, you wanna take your next steps. Here's the best way to do that. Grab your cell phone and text the word next to 909-281-7797. This is our sunrise number and somebody will get that and exchange a few messages with you to help you customize those next steps. Maybe it's joining a small group, serving. Maybe you just need some assistance or somebody to talk to. Whatever the case is, text next to 909 909- 281-7797. Or you could stop by our next step table in our lobby and have a conversation with someone today. Next week, we're gonna continue working our way through John chapter one. Invite somebody to come to church with you. Maybe God wants to use you to prepare their hearts. In the meantime, if you find yourself in the darkness of distrust, let's give God our yes in the incompleteness. It's more important than having all the details. If you find yourself in the darkness of defeat, let's make good choices with second chances. Don't quit. Don't make the same mistake twice. And if you find yourself in the darkness of distance, let's invite God to break old ground so he could bring new growth. You know, the prophets of old said that a forerunner would come before the Messiah. If John the Baptist never came, we'd still be looking for Messiah. But the good news is John the Baptist did come. And shortly after him, Jesus came, just as God said it would happen. And John prepared the way for the true light who is coming into the world. May every heart today prepare him room and may we all experience the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for how you work your plan in such a powerful way and and how it unfolds through history. And God, I pray that we would take great encouragement from this to know that you are still the same God. You are still the word. You You still work this way. And Lord, may we trust in you. Even though it's dark, may we trust in you. 
And Father, as we prepare to give our offerings now, may this be another act of trust, another act of worship, trusting these things in your hand. I pray that you multiply these tithes, these offerings to change lives in our community and around the globe. We thank you, Jesus, for being the light of the world. Thank you for not leaving us to grope around in the darkness, but coming down to us. What would we do without you? We simply say, thank you. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let somebody say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.